So today I want to ask you to turn your Bibles on or, or open them to the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Judges, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. When you find that, say, I got it. <clears throat> While you're getting ready, uh, I'll drop this in your, in your heart. Uh, one of the things that, you know, as I shared with you last week, and I appreciate all the prayers, uh, the bit of a health challenge that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going through now, and, and um, I kind of want to just, you know, thank God for, first, my, my wife, uh, who has been dynamic this last week in watching what I eat. Amen. <laughs> Amen. She, she, she's been like the food hawk, you know, it's like... <laughs> Like I put something in my hand and swoop down and just, whoosh, it's gone, you know. <laughs> I'm like, well, what was that, you know. <laughs> but, um, but she has been dynamic in, in assisting me and in, um, in kind of changing the, my diet. Uh, uh, and, and for the good portion of this week, um, and, and I really have to share how important this is for, you know, maybe people who don't do this. I was never a person that drank a lot of water. You know, I just, I just didn't drink a lot of water. I just, you know, I'd rather have some, from a kid, you know, Kool-Aid or tea or, you know, my goodness, Coke or, or, or Pepsi. Don't y'all tell Abel I said Coke first. He's not here today. But, uh, but Pepsi or, or, uh, or you know, uh, Coke or some soda, you know, that was just my drink. You know, go there and, and, and don't get me any peach crush. I mean, I mean, I'm in trouble with some peach crush, but, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I, this week I've been drinking primarily water, and uh, and I, you know, but I it, it is it was difficult the first few days, but I have to tell you I've kind of gotten used to. It. I feel better. It, it's you know the, the energy level is up, and so so I'm grateful for that. And uh, uh, water helps with your digestion and all those good things. So there's nothing better than what God gave us to drink. Amen. Took me 54 years to learn that, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm grateful, so continue to, to pray for us as we, uh, as we go forward uh, in, in, this, in this process. So you'll have to suffer through some of these health updates, I'll just let you know that. Huh? <laughs> All right, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, uh, verse 8 through 11. And the Word of God comes to us saying, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and that's pronounced Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Hores in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them. And I really want you to highlight this. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did not did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So today I want to talk from this thought. Intergenerational transfer and the necessity of fathers. Now, don't worry about that long $10 word, intergenerational. It simply means how we communicate one generation to the next. Okay? So there, there, there's always some intergenerational transfer, either good or bad. Amen? How many people learn some bad habits from their parents? I mean, I'm just, I mean, really, I mean, but we learned some good habits, didn't we? We learned some good things. Amen. Amen. That's right, Michelle. Your mom's sitting right there. She's like looking right at you. Don't you say a word. That's right. <laughs> but we, we so, so this idea that there's always going to be some transfer that goes on. Now, I want to talk about that in the context of how important fathers really are. So, so as, as we look at our world today, and you've heard me say this many times, uh, we live in a world in which the concept of reason is becoming 
a thing of the past. Logic and reason. You know, we just make stuff up and say, well, doesn't make any sense, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> I mean, wrong is now being called right. Right is now wrong. Up is down. Down is up. Black has become white and white has become black. Our world is in this topsy-turvy state of existence. In fact, unlike what was known as the age of reason uh, or commonly known as the age of enlightenment, enlightenment, which was about from 1651 A.D. to about 1748 A.D. Um, when, when Thomas Paine wrote his, his book, The Age of Reason, that kind of closed that out. Unlike that time, we now seem to be living in an age not of reason and enlightenment, but insanity and darkness. Amen? We're in the age of insanity and darkness. The nuclear family, that is a mother, a father, and children, is fast becoming more the exception than the norm. And in some communities, it is an exception to see a biological mother, father, and children with a marriage all in the same home. It's tough. It's tough when you look around and you ask the question, what happened to the family? You know, as I said, you know, I'm not that old, 54, not bad. I mean, that's, that's not too old. But in my lifetime, I have seen tremendous shifts in the structure of a family. Who would have thought that on social media, I mean, first, we probably would never thought that there would be social media, but who would have thought on social media people feel compelled to post things like for Father's Day, hey, single moms, this is still Father's Day. This is not single mom's day. Amen. Y'all know I love single mothers. Come on, y'all. Amen. But this is not the day to try to celebrate your effort to substitute for, for a father. Look at somebody and tell them there is no substitute for a father. There. Now, now, that doesn't mean that your circumstance is not tough. But there's no substitute for a father. Just like there's, I wouldn't dare substitute for a mother. I mean, there are things that, that, that my children's mother could give them that I could never. I wasn't built with the sensitivity. I didn't have it. <laughs> KJ, if they fall, I'm going I'm to you know, get up. I'm not going down there to pick you and all. That just, that just wasn't me. But the mother has those sensitivities. So, so, so we see fathers being celebrated today, but we, we, we see also this, this dynamic that has changed in the family. Now, now, I, I want to tell you, there are many factors that are, uh, or, or you know, we can kind of say that are responsible for this. I mean, the, the number one thing before anything is sin, obviously. Amen? You know, but, but one of the things that I'm, I'm cognizant of as I get older is that even while we characterize the problems in our world as sin, we still, it's still healthy for us, I think, to look at the type of sin that kind of drives some of these issues. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, good. I'm, you're with me on that. So, so what are the things that happen? Well, first, you know, we have the redefining of God-ordained roles in the family. You know, and I just talked a little bit about that. You know, we're redefining the roles in the family to the point where men are being marginalized, women are being exalted and exhausted. Let me help you, ladies. You wasn't built to be a man. Your, your energy level was not built to handle the responsibilities that God intended the man to handle. Can I get something there? Can I just a little Twitter or something? I don't know. You know, just clear your throat or whatever the case may be. But, but, but you, you, you were not, you were not built for that. And so it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but, but culture is driving you 
to this place where you feel that you're not a woman unless you prove you can do everything a man can do. Oh, I'm in trouble now, but that's culture. It's not God. God never intended for you as a, as a creature that he thought so highly of that the Bible says he made man, but he fashioned a woman. Watch this now. He thought so highly of you. He took some time <laughs> and put you together. Amen. And so he never intended for you to do everything that a man does. But see, so we've been redefining these roles. Now, the other thing that's happened here is that the media has promoted in mass aberrant behavior. In other words, things that are, that are really out of order is what the media puts in front of us. I was watching a, a movie last night and I saw this, you know, this, this news service and there was a picture of you know, I don't know, maybe 100,000 people listening to something on the, on, that was on a, on a screen in Times Square or whatever the case may be. And it thought for a minute, look at the power of media. One big screen in the middle of Times Square and a New Year's Eve or whatever it is, everybody gathers and looks at it. Media is powerful. Whatever they put up on the screen, we tend to believe. Oh, come on, somebody. Mm-hmm. We do, we do. And so anything that's aberrant, anything that's, 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 that's not of God is being promoted in our society today. And so we're being told that these things are normal and they are not. Just because it's on TV doesn't make it right. Now here's another reason why our families are, are, are going through what they're going through and it's because of inequities, inequities and injustice in our world. We have so many inequities and injustice in the world that things that we didn't pay attention to the way we should, the fact that we remain a largely unreconciled nation when it comes to race, uh, race and, and ethnicity. So these inequities and these injustices in many ways drive some of this problem that we're having in our families. It should never be that a gram of powder cocaine get you less prison time or, or treatment than a, a rock of crack cocaine, you go to jail for five years. Oh, y'all ain't got to get quiet. It's all, it's all right. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. And so we have these types of issues that have, have in, impacted negatively our families. Here's another, and here's a big one. This is the last one because I can go on and on on these. But, but the last one I'll share with you is the weakness of the Christian community. Look at somebody and say, you're talking about you. That's right. You're talking about you. Just, the weakness. The weakness. Now, I'm not talking about your individual relationship with God. I know you love the Lord and he heard your cry. And pitied your every groan. Amen. I know, I know that you have this, this wonderful, glorious relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. But as a group of people that are supposed to be salt of the earth and light of the world, we have dropped the ball. It's going to be a tough one today. I can see that. I- but here's the thing. So, so when you look at these issues and how they have impacted, impacted our communities and our families. Now, the, you know, perhaps as we look at this, the group most under the microscope, really and rightly so, are the men of our culture. If we want to be leaders, then we have to go under the microscope. It's, not, it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you, if you want to step up and lead, you got to be examined to see if you're fit. Amen? Oh, come on. All right, right? If you want to fly the plane, they better drug test you. That's all I'm saying. I'm not mad (laughs) if the pilot looked like he had something to drink. (laughs) Get him off and get another one. (laughs) 
Huh? So if you want to be the leader, if you want to be the leader, you got to take, you got to do, do what you have to do. So we're under the microscope as men in our culture. And it is in this age of insanity that we even find the, the very definition of maleness is in question. You know, we used to define a male based on biological sex or anatomy. We are now told that that's not so. Perhaps what is worse is that the culture is telling us that if we disagree with this, that something is wrong with us. Something's wrong. You're hateful. You're intolerant. You know, you don't know the love of Jesus, you know. And the sad part is, you know, there are some of us Christians that are really questioning. Well, do I really love Jesus because I disagree with, with that definition? And what they're saying, what culture is saying to us in general, brothers and sisters, is they want you to believe what you see on the screen. Well, not that screen. It's been out all day, but this... <laughs> <laughs> they want you to believe what you see on the screen and, and, and not what's in your heart. They don't want you to believe what's in, what, you know, what your eyes are viewing. They want you to believe some myth that they're creating, something to, to challenge your, your thought processes. And if they can get you on that, watch this now. They got you on everything else. Once the immutables go away, once... The, the immutables, like what is absolutely right and absolutely wrong, go away. Everything goes then. So think about that. In this age of insanity, even our men who are in the church find themselves wondering just what is going on in the body of Christ. In some ways, we trample upon the God-ordained role of the man in the church in order to appease a degree of political correctness. And, and this is tough because in many churches, there are more women than there are men. We are incredibly blessed here at Bethel Gary to have the number of men that we have. And all, and all of them ain't even here today. We've we got many, many more that, that, are, that are a part of this congregation. And, and so what we have, though, in many churches is that because women so greatly outnumber men, there's this idea that somehow we have to appease the fact that women are coming to church in great numbers. And we change the role. We try to send them a thank you because they're serving and men are missing. And once we begin to tinker with this, once we begin to change God's views, that's when we get in trouble. Amen? Amen? So my brothers and sisters, it is reasonable, even in an age of insanity, to ask the seminal question of how did we get to such a place? Now it is my contention today, and what I want to argue before you today, that we must build better fathers in order to build better homes for our children so that we will get the benefits or they'll get the benefit of knowing and trusting God with their lives. So if you don't get anything else, that's what this is about. We've got to build better fathers. Got to build better men. Our boys need to know what it's like to be a man. Too many children know nothing of God. If our epic ministry has taught us anything, it is that there exists a generation, maybe two, of young men who are out there who have no clue as to who God is. They don't have any understanding. You know, some of us in here, we grew up in church, we strayed away, and we came back. Amen? That's just the truth. But you had something that was put in you early in life that when life got really, really tough, huh? you remembered what grandmama said, what granddaddy said. You remembered how to pray. You remembered how to go to God. You remembered how to release. We have children that don't have that. Never been inside of a worship service. Never been in a church. Don't know anything about God. 
And so too many are in that condition today. So today, let us look together at Scripture and perhaps share just how such a thing in this age of insanity, how such a thing like this can, can really almost supplant the gospel, supplant reason and intelligence in a society and, and more specifically a community or a family. Let's look at the book of Joshua and we're going to go into Judges for some help. So, so here's what I need you to do. You, we're in Judges. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 24. Okay, and I'm going to kind of run through this pretty quickly, but this will set some background for how for what we're going to be talking about in Judges. So here's our here's our background in in Joshua 24. Now, the Bible says that Joshua had a father. His father's name was Noon, Noon. Okay, and uh, that's how you pronounce it spelled N-U-N pronounced Noon. And he grew up uh, uh, Noon. Let me tell you a little bit about Joshua's father. Joshua's father, Noon, grew up. In and may have lived his entire life in the captivity of Israel in Egypt. It's very possible, according to historians, that Joshua's father was born a slave and was a slave his whole life. Think about that. So the Egyptians made life bitter and harsh. They had to labor, the Israelites labor at mortar and bricks with all sorts of tasks in the field. We see that in Exodus 1.14. And, and in the, the Aramaic tongue, the word noon means fish. So the Hebrew writings Midrash tells us that the son of him whose name was as the name of a fish would lead the Israelites. So here's Joshua, the son of a slave, the son of one who was in captivity. Now watch this. That's important to remember. Joshua became a leader. He became a man of God. He became one that God would select to follow the great deliverer Moses and lead the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land. Now remember, Moses couldn't go. And in Joshua, the first chapter, the Lord says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And I told you before, when God say you're dead, you're dead. No doubt about it. <laughs> you know, ain't no rub the paddles together and all that is, you know, you're gone. So, so, so Joshua is told by God to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan. His daddy was a slave. His daddy was in captivity. But I want you to understand something, that just because you're in captivity doesn't mean captivity has to be in you. Huh? Just because your circumstance is tough doesn't mean that that tough circumstance has to be in you. Somewhere noon, who's named after a fish, had the fortitude to tell his son about the almighty God. Can you imagine? Daddy, we slaves. But God is still good. Huh? What do we transfer to our children? We take our pain and instead of giving them the hope of the glory of Christ, we hand them more pain. Daddy, we having a hard time. Yeah, we sure are. And what you what you what we have an opportunity to do there is to say that even though our circumstances may not be favorable, we still serve a God that sits high and looks low. So we have the chance to do something different. So here was Joshua in captivity, and, and he saw his father grow up a slave. Now, and you go into Joshua 24, around the 15th verse, there's something that we celebrate all the time. You know, this, this verse here, you hear it all the time, you hear it preach, and many times I've heard it preach, and we stop right there. 
But there's something else going on in the context of this passage. So let's walk through this really quick. The first thing we notice about Joshua as a man, Joshua makes a powerful declaration. Men, we have to learn to stand on truth. He makes a powerful declaration. What does he say? He says in verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. He's talking to Israel, to the whole nation. He says, whether you want the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, you have a choice is what Joshua's saying. You can serve whoever you want to serve. He says, but as for me. Now watch this now. He says, as for me and my house we will serve the lord and what that simply means is joshua's declaration is so powerful because he had the authority to speak for his entire family some of y'all ain't getting that it's see see men let me help you let me help you understand you may go home you may not have that authority we got to get you there we got to get you there Ladies, you got to help us. You got to get you there. Joshua had the authority. He didn't check with Miss Joshua. <laughs> Baby, what you think I ought to? You think it's all right if we and me and my, our house serve the Lord? He didn't, you know, is it okay if we pray uh, together as a family? Is it okay if we sing songs of Zion? Is it okay if we remember and teach our children the things of the Lord? He didn't do any of that. I don't know what Miss Joshua was doing, but I don't think Joshua was too worried about it. (laughs) He declares, as for me and my house, everybody that sets their foot darkens this doorstep. Every person that lays down to sleep in this room, everybody here, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, y'all, ladies, come on. Now, the men shouted on Mother's Day. Y'all could come on just. <laughs> Watch this now. So, so that's where we usually stop. But we're not going to stop there today. Because I want you to see that, remember, he's talking to all of Israel. So now here comes a response from the people. All right? Here comes a response from the people. He says, as a man in our house, we're going to serve the Lord. The people give an answer to his declaration. Verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. People got excited. Oh, Joshua, you didn't touch something in us now. You got us fired up. Far be it. Look at that. You know, you know you're tough when you say far be it. We used to say it like this, ain't no way, no how. (laughs) Huh? No kind of way are we going to serve another God. And they say in verse 17, for it's the Lord our God who brought us up. Watch this now. Remember this passage because they know this generation that the Lord our God brought us up. Our fathers from the land of Egypt. He got us out of slavery. He did great signs. He preserved us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we passed. They knew what God had done. Verse 18, they said, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Look at them. Boy, they respond. They heavy. They ready. Now, watch this. Joshua doubts their conviction and their ability to stay with God. Sometime your leader know you. Wives, sometime your husband knows you. Now, I know you may mean well, but sometimes the leader has experienced some things that, that make him a little leery 
of some commitments that are made. Watch this. Joshua doubts their conviction and ability to stay with God. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Now, what is Joshua saying? That's a scriptural smackdown, isn't it? They over there shouting and testifying, oh, yeah, God been good to us. Y'all said, hush. You ain't able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. And some of y'all folks just made it in the promised land on a scholarship. I wish I had somebody here. Don't act like you paid your way here. So he's a holy God. God, then Joshua says, he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. So in other words, you receive this goodness and God saying, I'm going to mess some things up in your life if you turn away from me. You know, you just made, they just made that commitment. And Joshua said, you ain't ready. You ain't, y'all better hush. Y'all better get this thing. You better hush. And so he says, he said, after, done, after he had done you good, the people then, watch this. Look at their response. They're adamant in their determination to serve God only. Now, I want you to understand what Joshua's doing here. Joshua giving them the Holy Ghost set up. They're getting set up. <laughs> They just don't know it. <laughs> Watch this. So Joshua said, they said, we want to serve the Lord. Joshua said, you ain't ready to serve God. God's a holy God. Uh-uh, Joshua. Us is ready. We're ready to serve the Lord. Look at verse 21. And the people said, no, but we will serve the Lord. Don't tell us we're not ready. Now, here's where Joshua tells them how to seal the deal. If you're ready to serve the Lord, this is where the deal gets sealed right here. For every one of us in here who are just like Israel, we say we want to serve God, but there's some things you have to do to seal that deal. Verse 22, Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself. That you have chosen the Lord to serve him. In other words, what God is saying, if we were in a court of law, you said you was going to serve God, and the Lord's going to call you to the witness stand. Can you imagine sitting there and knowing that the things that you've done in your life, and the Lord put you on the stand and say, now, you know, didn't you say you were going to serve me? Yes, Lord. <laughs> I sure said it. Did you mean it? I sure did. That's the setup. Well, what was you doing when you meant uh, when you did such and such? You know, remember when you cussed somebody out the other day? Don't they? Were you serving me then? Watch this now. Joshua tells him, he said, you're witnesses against yourself. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, there's some tough folks here. They're ready. Here's how you sealed the deal. He says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now get this, get this. Why did Joshua set the people up? Here's why they had to set up. Because Joshua was getting to something as he was coming to the end of his life as a man, as the father of a nation, as a father in his own family. He was coming to help them know that they needed to get rid of idolatry. The one thing that Joshua knew would destroy the nation of Israel is idolatry. Idolatry is destructive in any life. When you put other things before God, they become your idols. Men, I want to help you here today. I want to help you. Men, if we're going to build better fathers, if we're going to be better fathers, we have to get rid of our idols. We have to destroy our idols. 
Now, what are your idols? There are a lot of idols that men have. Some of us have made idols out of our spouses. I'm going to let that marinate for just a minute. I ain't trying to get you in trouble, bro. Just, just look the other way. Don't look at her right now because she's she looking at you like this. <laughs> Watch this. Thou shall have no other God before me. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and do those things so that you may present to yourself a, a wife without spot or wrinkle, he, as he did a church without spot or wrinkle. So I'm not saying don't love your wife. I'm saying in loving your wife, she cannot become your idol. She cannot become your God. She cannot become a head of God in your life. Your life is out of order if that's what you're doing. If your life is in order, she will feel right at home with a man that's loving God more than anything else. God designed her that way. So so the first thing, put away that idol. Here's some other idols. Men, we have idols in media, and here's a big one. We got to get rid of this idol of pornography. Hmm. Yeah, I know it's getting a little quiet in here now. You can come to church and hear that word, but, but let, me, let me tell you something. This is destroying men's lives all over the world, and it's in the house and the family of God. The enemy knows our weaknesses. Destroy those idols. If, if you know that there are certain movies you cannot watch without, without tripping out, You ain't mature enough. Just accept it, bro. Just accept it. You know, if, if, if Holly Berry or, or somebody in a bathing suit calls you the flux and all that, then you can't look at that. The junk you let in your head affects your life. Do I have a witness here? Watch this. Okay. All right. I got to hurry up. I got to get done with this. So these idols, you got to destroy these idols. And Joshua said that, that put away the foreign gods and incline your heart to the Lord. So it's a two-part process. You don't just destroy idols. You have to move to God. If you destroy the idols and don't move to God, then you're still going to be in trouble. Because guess what? The idols going to be like, we back. Huh? That's what's going to happen with those idols and so they'll come back and so here's what the people do in verse 24 the people make a covenant decision so now Joshua's got them to the point where they say you got to get rid of these idols and they say and the people says the Lord our God we will serve verse 24 and his voice will we obey that's what they say right all right verse 27 and Joshua said to all the people behold this stone shall be a witness against us. What Joshua did, he put a stone in the ground. He said, you're going to remember every time you see this stone, this covenant that you made, that, with God, that God is the only voice you'll listen to, that you're going to obey God at all times. So he said, the stone has heard the words. That'd be like if we, uh, we would ask some of these chairs, tell us what folks been saying. When they're sitting in the chair, the chairs would testify. Here's what they said last Sunday, Pastor. Boy, they said they was going to serve God only. So the stone heard him. He says, be witness against you lest you deal falsely against your God. Now, now the final phase of this progression that I want to share with you and how and this importance of fathers and intergenerational transfer is this. We get to this next phase. The new dynamic has happened in Israel. In the book of Judges, something has happened. It says, it says that Joshua and his entire generation is dead. So not only did Joshua die, but all the dudes that was in his generation, all the fathers, all those fathers who had fathers who were slaves, who had told them about God and all these things, all those fathers are gone. Now, I want you to draw some parallels here because as we look at, at, at rearing fatherless generations now, amen, there's some absences that have happened and absences have consequences, amen, amen. And so all these fathers that knew God and knew uh, uh, what he had done are all dead. Verse 8 
of, of Judges 2, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. He was 110 years old. And it says, and they buried him. So we're pretty sure he was dead. They try not to put you in the ground with any breath left in your body. Amen. But they buried him in the land of his inheritance. And verse 10 says, and all that generation were gathered to their fathers. They all died. Now, here's another, the next thing. Once Joshua dies, an interesting dynamic takes place. The author brings us to a new reality in Israel. This nation this nation, and we just looked at it in, in Joshua 24, this nation moved from a determined, serving God only covenant people to a generation that did not know God or what he had done. Get that. If you don't get anything else, we have gone from a determined covenant. We're going to serve the Lord. And I promise Joshua, this stone can be a witness. We're going to tell about God. Our whole, whole entire uh, history is going to be in our connection to the Lord. And verse 10b says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Or the work that he had done for Israel. Somewhere, somebody did not communicate with the following generation. If you want to know what's going on in, in our world today. You want to know what's wrong with our children. Don't, don't be somebody always the devil busy. Like the devil ain't supposed to be busy. I mean, that's, what, that's why he the devil. <laughs> You know, like, it's like sometimes the devil ought to take a break and do some good. <laughs> That's not going to happen. He's evil through and through. Satan is always going to be your adversary. He's never going to be your friend. You can write that down. Satan's our adversary. He's never going to be your friend. And so understand that in, in this somewhere, they did not communicate to the next generation. After that generation died, the glory of what God had done and who he is died with them. When you look at our communities today and you look at our children that don't know the Lord, what has happened is that grandma has moved off the scene. Great grandmama that would sit there with a Bible open. Great granddaddy that was the deacon in the church or the preacher and would sit there and allow his children to see him praying. They are off the scene. What is grandma now, like 35? Huh? 35-year-old grandma, you know, she, she getting, you know, the daughter getting dressed for the club. Mama, can you watch the kids? Uh-uh, I'm going with you. Hmm? And the babies are being neglected. There's no daddies. Daddy ain't around. You got, you got this issue where nothing's being transferred to the next generation. And so they did not know. And there are two things here that Joshua or the, 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 the author tells us. They didn't really know who the Lord really is. Now, this is important, saints. And I believe in my heart that Scripture puts this first because if you get this one right, the next one kind of comes automatically. So, so what has happened is we've treated God as a cosmic errand boy. We, we talk to him when we need him. Lord, could you go down there and, 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 and put my application to the top? So I get the job and, and nobody else do, you know, Lord, 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 could you make a way for me to get my rent paid? You know, can you do all this? Lord, can you do this? Can you do that? And we forget that none of those things are really about who God is. Look at somebody and say, God has an isness. I just made that up. Just there's an isness about God and, and God just is and we don't we don't connect with God on who he is we always connect with him on what he can do watch this God is 
you know, God is, God is the eternal Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Everything starts and ends with him. He is the God of the universe. He is the king of all, the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is. He didn't have a beginning. Nobody created God. God is self-contained. Now, the reason that's important, because if you don't know who he is, then you don't even know who you're asking to do something for you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to me. That just came right now. Just, just think about that. You on your knees praying to a God, you don't even know who he is. You don't know anything about him. And you asking him to do stuff for you. So the first thing they didn't do, they didn't tell. Them. And when we don't tell our sons and our daughters about God, what we're really saying is we're going to leave it up to them to figure it out. Tell me one sinner that chose God on their own. Hmm? Now, I know you're sitting here sanctified and holy right now, but you didn't start that way. <laughs> Huh? You didn't get up one day and say on your own without God or anything to do with God. Just on your own say, I think I'm going to get saved today. This looks like a good day to get saved. That's not what happened, is it? What, what really happened is, is that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit said, when they said all sinners, they talking about you. And he told us, what our situation was, and we responded to his grace. Second thing they didn't do, they didn't tell the great things that God has done. The great things that God has done in your testimony. Are you telling your testimony to your children? The great things that God has done in your life? You know, we we used to sing an old song in old church, you know, I I, I could have been dead sleeping in my grave. We all changed that word from coulda to shoulda. (laughs) huh i mean just throw your hand up real fast if you've done some things you really know you should have been dead from amen amen just 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 god just god saved your life because he loved you even when you didn't love him i should have been dead now this gonna mess you up because some of that stuff we did that we should have been dead was after Y'all sit there like I'm talking about, I'm just talking about your BC, your before Christ. I'm talking about your after Christ. There's some stuff that happened after that if it had not been, oh, I wish I had somebody, for the grace of the Lord. (laughs) I can't help but get happy on that one. I just, because I know in my own life, if it had not been for his grace since I've been saved. Your testimony is the sum total of God's grace and favor in your life. The worst thing we could do as a Christian, as parents and as fathers is to keep that testimony from our children. You tell your children I made some mistakes, but as David would say, that he took my feet out the miry clay. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. And he put them on a solid rock, and it's on Christ the rock that I stand. So I I, I want you to understand that we've got to talk about this with our children. I'm going to finish with this. There are some results of having no intergenerational transfer. There are some resulting things that happen in the nation of Israel, in Gary, in Crown Point, in Hobart, in Cedar Lake, all over this nation. When there is no intergenerational transfer for Christian parents and fathers in particular, The first thing that happens 
is that people will turn to evil. Verse 11 says, and the people. Now, right after, that, right after it says that, that the generation arose that didn't know the Lord or things he had done, they didn't give the transfer. They didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about what God had done. They didn't talk about who God was to their children. And the first thing that you have right after that is, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. When fathers are not transferring to their children the things of God, the children will choose evil over good. They did what was evil. Right away. Now I want you to watch this progression. They went from doing what was evil, then the very next thing, is that they turn to idols. Now remember, it would seem like somebody's grandma or granddaddy was, was standing there when, when Joshua said, what are you going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. Are you going to give up idols? Yes. And here you are a few years later and it didn't stick. Because of no intergenerational transfer. The Bible says they did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Those false gods of the people that were around them. If it's anything that really kind of describes the challenge of the contemporary church is that we stop bowing down to the false gods of the people who are around us. We have a God that's all-powerful. Why do we need the media's creation of God? Why do we need somebody else telling us who God is and that we don't know how to love? Our Bible teaches us how to love, not just love, but love unconditionally. Our Bible teaches us how to be compassionate. We don't need the media to tell us, you know, here's a, we're going to create this other concept of God and Christians falling into it every day. It says they abandoned the Lord. Verse 12, the God of their fathers, they abandoned. They abandoned. That word means they just left. They left God. When there is no intergenerational transfer about who God is and what he has done, your children will leave God. They'll leave him out of their lives. Because they'll say he wasn't important enough for you to talk about. Why should I? Why should I care? They abandoned the Lord who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Watch that now. They provoked the Lord to anger. See, some of us, we don't really understand the wrath of God. You know, we think of God as this only this just compassionate person, you know, with a big, long, white beard. And he's got all this compassion. And, and, and I know God is all of those things. But in this Old Testament context, God's a judge. I mean, ultimately, he will be the judge of the whole world. But, but sin, the wages, the payment of sin is death. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? And so God is this judge. And so, and so we have, you have the, them provoking God to anger. Now, here's an interesting connection. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Huh? And so, and so there's, a, there's a, that whole same concept of, of doing things that you shouldn't do that lead to anger in somebody else. And the abandoning of God, who had done so much for Israel, leaves God angry. Now, I'm not talking about angry like in he's mad and finna sin. <laughs> I'm talking about righteous anger because after he had done all that he had done, Israel abandoned him. And verse 13 says, they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals. Now, in that situation, the Lord will respond, saints. 
The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Verse 14. Now this is going to mess you up. And he gave them over. To plunderers. Who plundered them? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What else do plunderers do but plunder? <laughs> he gave them over to plunderers who plunder. He gave them over. See, somebody's theology getting really messed up right now because you can't see God having given his people over to somebody to plunder them. Somebody say discipline. Fathers, when there's no intergenerational transfer, there's a consequence to that. And so he gave them, and, and, and watch this now. He didn't just give them over to plunder, plunder, and he sold them. This struck me as interesting. He, God sold? God sold them into the hand of their enemies? What was the price? What could you give God in exchange for the nation of Israel. Watch this now. God, what this really means is that God sold them to their enemies, but the enemies couldn't pay. So God paid himself in Christ. He had to give them up because of their sin but he bought them back in Christ get that he had to give them up because of their sin so when that happens this this last thing is that calamity will ensue when there's no intergenerational transfer Verse 15, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. You look at what's going on in communities today. Whenever you know, we try to go out and do things, there's no, been no intergenerational transfer. There's been no connection to God or anything. And, and the hand of the Lord is, is against us because we have ignored him and abandoned him. And as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and this last phrase says, and they were in terrible distress. Look at our communities today, brothers and sisters. Look at the stress that has happened because we have not talked about who God is and what he's done with our children. Children are getting up thinking that you can be on the street all night and that's, that's normal. Some of us complain when the street lights came on, we had to be in the house. Huh? Y'all don't know what that's like, some of y'all younger ones, but, but we used to hear the hum of the street lights. That's that every night street light song, right? The street light would just hum, hum. And we, and we see that flicker, oh, gotta go. Gotta go, gotta go. But now you have our children on the street all night long like it's normal. Let me tell you the answer to this distress. The answer to this distress is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way we can make sure that we are giving the inter intergenerational transfer is that fathers, you must teach your children about the gospel. You must give him or give them every benefit of knowing who Jesus is. You must tell them that this same Jesus came to earth, died on a cross, was buried and rose again for all of our sin that they may know who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ for their lives. Let's build better fathers. Ladies, encourage your husbands as fathers to have those conversations with the children. There's nothing like it when it comes from the daddy. It's good from the mama. But when it comes from daddy, I encourage you to make sure that we don't raise any more generations that don't know the Lord or the great things that he has done. Bring them to Bethel Church. 
bring them to a gospel-fearing church or gospel-centered church, a God-fearing church, and God will provide an answer for the calamity in our lives. Come on, let's give God some praise today. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord.